Welcome friends, and thank you for allowing me to join you this day. Well, it's looking like we're getting closer to returning to some sense of normalcy in our lives. I think we'll all be glad when we finally get there, and I know that we'll be glad when we can worship together again. In the meantime, I hope you're taking time to nurture your relationship with God. And I also hope that you're taking time to reach out to others and let them know that God loves them and God cares for them. And with that, I'd like to address a very important subject. If you've felt some depression during these challenging weeks, that's totally understandable and it's not abnormal. I encourage you to reach out to others by phone or by other means. And if we can help at the chapel, please contact us. You don't have to deal with this alone. Now, even though we haven't been able to have worship services, we do have ongoing bills to pay for the ministry. We thank you for your continued financial support. So far, we've been able to pay all of our expenses, in case you're wondering. Today, as we continue our journey through the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, we're going to look at the conclusion of John's Gospel. John's Gospel closes with his affirmation and, and validity of the testimony of his writing. But before this, Jesus has some final words for Peter, and he gives a very familiar command that he had repeated many times previously in his ministry. He says, follow me. Last week, we looked at Peter's restoration as a disciple. We saw that after they finished eating that breakfast there on the, on the shore of Galilee, Jesus called Peter aside, and he asked him three times. He said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than threes? And three times John, uh, Peter re responded in the affirmative, Yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. You know all things, Lord. Yes, I love you. And three times again, Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. The calling for Peter to in, in following and, and loving Jesus would be to feed his sheep, to feed his lambs, his disciples. Peter would be a great shepherd under the direction of the shepherd, the Lord Jesus himself. He was to be an evangelist. He was to train others to, to spread the gospel, to spread the good news of God's word and, and God's salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter was called to steadfastly seek after God. Jonathan Edwards once said that the main business of believers is to seek after God. And that is what a regenerated heart does. The heart and life of a Christ follower seeks God. It wants to know more of Him. It desires more than anything to, to worship Him, to, to trust Him, to obey Him. And that's what Peter's life would become. Let's continue in verse 18. Jesus says to Peter, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus here makes a solemn statement foretelling the type of death that Peter would one day experience, namely crucifixion. Back in John chapter 13, verse 37, Peter had asked Jesus, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And not long after that came Peter's threefold denial. Well, last week, as I said, we saw Peter's restoration. And now Jesus tells Peter that in the end of his life, he would indeed lay down his life for the Savior. He would not defend himself with a sword as, as he tried to do in the garden, 
but his love for Jesus would be demonstrated in the death of a martyr. Now, Jesus issues this call, the call to follow me. It's a command which he gives 23 times in the Gospels. It's a call to forsake all else except Jesus. It is certainly a call worth dying for because Jesus is the only king worth living for. Jesus' command to, to follow me began at the start of his ministry. And as I said, it's repeated often. Now as he's preparing to ascend to the Father, he gives the command, the command again, continue to follow me even after I'm gone. For Peter, following Jesus and, and being a shepherd of Jesus' sheep would involve more than teaching. It would involve pain, it would involve suffering, and ultimately execution. Jesus issues this general call to followership to every disciple. You follow me, Jesus calls, not only to walk behind him, but to partner with him in the gospel, to identify with him in sacrifice and suffering, to walk right beside him, to accompany him. To follow him means a, a total commitment. It's recognizing Jesus not just as, as Savior, not just as teacher, but as Lord, as Master. In Revelation 14, 4, John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes this. He says, These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. The Lamb of God leads those who will follow him. People from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, all joining together in one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus did not come as another prophet with some get-rich principles for living. He didn't come from heaven to earth to, to add another do-good religion. He didn't come and die so that you and I could do better. He, God in the flesh, came to die in order to pay our sin debt so that you and I could have eternal life. That's why it's so misguided for, for anyone to think that, that they're just going to put a little Jesus into their life and, and somehow please and, and appease God. Jesus is worth dying and living for because he is the giver of life and he's the only way to restore a relationship with God. There's no other name given under heaven whereby we could be saved. And if he has saved you, he has absolute authority over your life, every aspect of your life. Jesus has the authority to tell you, tend my sheep. He has the authority to tell you, feed my lambs. He has the authority to tell you, go into all the world and teach others. He has the authority to tell you, make disciples. He has the authority to tell you, be my witness. He has the authority to tell you, deny yourself daily, take up your cross, and follow me. Remember in verse 17, Peter's declaration, Lord, you know all things. Well, imagine the shock to Peter when Jesus basically continues to affirm his declaration by, by saying, Yes, Peter, you're right. I do know all things. And I know that you will one day love me to the extent of being crucified because you love and follow me. Note Peter's reaction to this news in verse 20. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? You know, John doesn't 
doesn't identify himself. He doesn't name himself as the writer, but he speaks about himself in a, in a way that clearly identifies himself as the author here. It continues. <clears throat> when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Well, Peter had always been, been impulsive. He'd always been excitable. He'd always had questions. He was always quick to give comments. And he quickly asked the Lord here, what about John? Will he die the same way as I will? Peter doesn't question Jesus about his prophecy concerning Peter's death, at least that's not recorded here, but it seems quick that he, he is quick to, to be concerned about the final end of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. It may have been a genuine concern for John as a friend that caused Peter to ask this question, but perhaps he wondered if, if his death was going to be more severe than John's because he had denied the Lord. We can only speculate on why Peter asked such a question, but I think Jesus' reply is the more important thing here. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? It's clear from the text that, that Jesus did not mean that John would not die. Jesus is saying, Peter, when it comes to the callings and the appointments and the deaths of others, those things are my business, not yours. If John is commissioned to serve me and, and die sooner or later, it's in the Father's good pleasure to, for the work of the gospel and for his glory. You've been called and you've been restored to ministry so that you can follow me wherever I lead you. Jesus is not saying here that, that we're not to be accountable to others or that we shouldn't care for others within the body of Christ. Jesus not, was not negating the, the nature and the, and the purpose of the church to, to love, to encourage, to, to care for one another, because we see those things in Peter's and in Paul's writings and, and in their, their things as they instruct and as they plant local churches. Jesus was not endorsing isolationism or, or, or individualism within the church, but saying that, that some things are God's concern alone. I think we've all known that person who's so concerned about looking into other people's lives and pointing out other people's shortcomings and wondering about if other people are following the Lord's will that, that they can't see that they're not doing it themselves. Jesus had something to say about that in, in, in Matthew chapter 7 around verse 3. I encourage you to go look at it. We know that Peter was not crucified immediately, but he died about 30 years later. Early church tradition says that he died by crucifixion with his arms outstretched in the year 64, about three years, I'm sorry, about three months after the disastrous fire that destroyed Rome, for which the Emperor Nero blamed the Christians. The Roman historian Jerome wrote that at Nero's hands, Peter received the crown of martyrdom, being nailed to the cross with his head towards the ground and his feet raised on high, asserting that he was unworthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. So Peter did indeed die with his, hands out, his arms outstretched. And he died crucified upside down because he said he wasn't worthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was. And St. Peter's Basilica is built upon the site 
of the apostles' martyrdom. I've been there many times, and it's a magnificent place. Magnificent place. Jesus said to Peter, What is that to you? You follow me. Jesus issues the same call to you and to me to be faithful to his call to follow him. The closing verses of chapter 21 in John's epilogue. In verse 24, it says, This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. John reveals his, his authorship of the gospel and he authenticates his eyewitness account as true. Verse 24 also identifies the, the, the person that Peter was asking the question about in verse 21. What about him? By revealing himself as the author, we know that God used John to bear witness to the gospel as well as to his role in evangelism. John's witness is added to the list of the many people and, and events who have testified to the works and the testimony of Jesus himself as the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world so that we might receive, so that we might believe in him and have eternal life. Finally, John closes with verse 25 where he writes, Jesus did many things, many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. You know, I've often said that while we need to be thankful for the Scripture, God's Word, we also need to be aware of the white space in our Bibles, the space between the, between the lines, realizing that there's much more that happened that we don't have a record of. Behind me here is my collection of, of presidential biographies. I have about 211 different volumes. They chronicle the lives and the work of the 43 individuals from George Washington to Barack Obama who have held that office. One thing I've learned by, by reading, and no, I haven't read every single one of them, as I'm sure you'll get wondering. One thing I've learned is that no author can include everything. And John reminds us of that by saying that he did not include all that Jesus said and did. It would certainly be far beyond anyone's ability to write everything that Jesus said and did. The other Gospels include many things that, 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 that weren't included in John's Gospel. But we can be eternally grateful, though, that God has revealed everything that he wants us to know, everything that is necessary for our salvation in his Scripture. The Bible tells us about the Lord Jesus and the gift of his marvelous grace, and we learn everything about him that we need to know. And later, when we get to glory, we will learn other things in the ages to come. This ends our look at the post-resurrection appearances of, uh, of Jesus in the Gospels. And next week, we're going to look, though, at, at, at Jesus' final appearance in his ascension in Acts chapter 1. Until then... Continue to follow Jesus wherever you are, and I encourage you to, to share the good news of Jesus whenever you have a chance. God bless you.